Welcome back, fam. Today, we are talking about four common missteps school leaders make. The missteps we're going to be talking about today are things that I have personally done as a school leader and learned the hard way to do something different. They also come from my experience training and coaching other school leaders and the experience of my school leader colleagues and friends. And I want to note that I'm intentional about using the word misstep and not mistake because the word misstep highlights that when we make a step that's not beneficial to us, we have the power to take a step in another direction. So as we go through our list of four common missteps, there might be a moment when you say to yourself, Lord, JT is talking about me. And it kind of can feel like that time in church when the pastor is preaching that sermon and you are thinking that the pastor has got to be tapping your phone or in your DMs because they are reading you up and down. If you have that feeling during this episode, know that it is completely okay. And I actually encourage you to embrace that feeling because once we know better, we can do better. So let's jump into it. Misstep number one, not delegating. School leaders are responsible for so much. I would actually argue sometimes too much. When I was a principal, my name was on everything. Student achievement and classroom instruction is obviously the bread and butter of a school, but there are so many things that it takes for a school to function. Class schedules, building maintenance, testing, hiring, transportation, open house, PTA meetings, field trips, school budget, the list goes on and on and on and on and on. And when your name is on all of these things, your name is on everything, you feel pressured to be the one to do everything. But it's just not physically possible. Trust me, I know. I am only one person and you are only one person. You cannot do it all. You have to delegate. And I want to acknowledge that delegating is hard because it requires that you actually trust the other person, that they'll get the task done and they'll do it well. Delegating also requires a level of skill from you as the school leader because you have to be clear with your expectations You have to be clear with establishing deadlines and how you'll monitor progress of the task. Usually, when we don't delegate, it's because we don't trust the other person that we're delegating to, or we haven't built our skill as school leaders to delegating effectively, so we create our own disappointments. When we aren't clear with what we expect, when the task should be completed, when we don't check in before the deadline, then we actually set ourselves up to get that task back a week or a day before it's actually supposed to be completed, and it's a mess. And then we tell ourselves that we should have just done it ourselves in the first place, when actually we have the opportunity to acknowledge that we didn't set up the other person for success. It's not sustainable to do everything on your own as a school leader. So there are two things that I did that helped me delegate. The first is that I shifted my mindset and internalized this belief that if I'm thoughtful in who I ask, 
If I'm clear with my expectations and my support, then I have the power to ensure the task is done well, even if I'm not the one doing it. So for example, as a principal, I did not have the capacity to do master scheduling. Obviously, master scheduling is huge. It's very important, but it's also extremely tedious. And I did not have the capacity to do every single component of master scheduling. I had to delegate. And I knew that the person I had to delegate to, they had to be a strategic thinker and they had to be very organized. So once I identified this staff member who had displayed these characteristics, I set up an initial meeting to share my expectations of how to complete this task, to also share a timeline of checking in as well. So if let's say we had three months to get master scheduling done, I would set up check-ins bi-weekly so that way I could catch any errors before they got too big. The second thing that I did that helped me delegate was simply asking a question. I would ask myself, is there anyone else in the building who can do this? If the answer was yes, I always delegated. No matter if I love doing that task, no matter if that task gave me fulfillment or joy, if anybody else in that building could do it, I had to delegate it. If the answer was no, then I knew that I had to be the one to do it. So let's go through just a couple of examples. Making copies for the staff meeting. Is there anyone else in the building who can do this? The answer is yes. So you need to delegate immediately. A second example would be screening resumes for vacant positions. Is there anyone else in the building who could do this? The answer is yes. So you should delegate immediately. And then our final example of an end of year evaluation for a teacher on an improvement plan. Is there anyone else in the building who could do this? Now, if this is an end-of-year evaluation and the teacher is struggling, this is actually something that I, as the principal or school leader, would need to own because this could be a matter of whether or not the teacher is returning to the school the next year. So the answer would be no. No one else in the building could do this, so I would need to be the owner. Keep in mind that there are many, many people who can do many things within the building. However, you are the only principal. Or not everybody can do what you do. Many people can make copies. Many people can do discipline, but not everybody can coach teachers, has an eye for instruction, and is able to move instruction. By asking yourself these questions, it'll help you delegate and help you truly spend your time on what matters most. All right, misstep number two, taking resistance personal. As a school leader, you are always leading some type of change. And this change can be big, like a new school-wide instructional curriculum, or it can be a little bit smaller, like a new sign-out procedure for students being checked out early. I happen to be a turnaround school leader, so there were many changes I had to lead. There were moments when I would experience resistance, and it was never really an uprising of like the entire school or community, but it was usually a handful of stakeholders. However, the resistance felt strong. 
And resistance could look like someone talking about me, complaining to their peers, or just flat out refusing to follow the change. The first time I experienced this resistance, I thought I did something wrong. So maybe my tone was off. Maybe I wasn't clear enough with why this change was best for kids. And then I read a book that literally changed my whole life in perspective. That book was called Leadership on the Line by Ron Heifetz. In the book, he talks about the difference in technical issues versus adaptive issues. He defines technical issues as those that can be solved by the knowledge of experts. So examples of technical issues would be, first, maybe the carpool line is congested every morning, and the issue is the direction in which cars are coming in and out of the school parking lot. This would be a technical issue because we just need knowledge of a better carpool process. Another example that is very real for me and comes from my time as a principal is every Monday morning, I would walk into the school building and the building would be hot as if the AC is not working. Our building maintenance team informed us that the AC is turned off over the weekend and that it wouldn't kick on until about an hour before school started. And this simply just wasn't enough time given the size of our building for the air to run throughout the entire building and for it to cool down. So the solution was very technical of we just simply needed to make arrangements for the AC to be turned on earlier before school started. We just simply needed new knowledge in order to solve this problem, hence it was a technical issue. Now, adaptive issues are more complex. Solving adaptive issues requires new learning. So for example, we can go back to an example I shared earlier of rolling out a new school-wide curriculum that would be considered an adaptive issue because it requires people to learn something new. Another real example from my time as principal was rolling out restorative practices in my school was an adaptive issue because it required people to learn something new. So teachers could no longer send a student out of their classroom with a referral. And I'm not talking about the larger misbehaviors that are a breach of safety, such as fighting. I'm talking about the smaller day-to-day misbehaviors. Teachers were now required to engage in a restorative conversation before they even got to a referral step. So this change went beyond just getting new knowledge or information because a teacher had to believe in the value of a restorative conversation in order to change their habits. So when we're talking about the difference between technical versus adaptive issue, this whole learning something new when it comes to adaptive issues goes beyond knowledge. Adaptive issues require people to learn new habits, new mindsets, and or new beliefs. I'd like to think of technical changes as a shift in information versus adaptive changes are a shifting of the heart. Ron Heifetz, author of Leadership on the Line, states in his book that adaptive change is harder because those experiencing the change are experiencing some type of loss. And I realized that most of the change I was leading was adaptive. 
I was asking folks to give up something. I was asking them to go through a sense of loss. And this loss could be comfort. This loss could be time. This loss could be feeling competent. Nonetheless, it was some type of loss that I was asking folks to make. And even if the change was in the best interest of kids, they still had to give up something. And Ron Heifetz goes through his book and explains the different responses that people have to this sense of loss. And some of these responses aren't positive. So people could respond through personal attacks or work avoidance. People can make you the issue through attacking you and or they can engage in work avoidance, which looks like someone completely avoiding making the change. So for example, they might decide not to come to work, which is a form of work avoidance. They might decide to not show up to a meeting, which is work avoidance. Or if, let's say, the change is a new curriculum and all teachers receive feedback now on their lesson plans, their work avoidance could look like simply not turning in the lesson plans. So once I had this new perspective, I just didn't take resistance personal anymore. And I actually began to reframe it. I saw resistance as progress. Resistance let me know that folks were actually clear on the change which was needed because they were resisting. So they knew what we were actually driving towards. I also framed resistance as feedback. It was feedback that someone was not on board. And I'd rather know someone is not on board than having their shallow investment. Knowing the resistance actually creates the opportunity to have a conversation to understand why they are resisting. And if the resistance continues after that conversation, so therefore now there's a pattern of resistance, it now provides this new level of information that someone may no longer be a fit for your school community. So if you're experiencing resistance and you're taking it personal, stop taking it personal. It is never personal. It is not about you. It is truly about the loss that they are experiencing. Reframe the resistance as feedback. All right, let's move on to misstep number three. Misstep number three is waiting too long to address issues. So no one loves conflict. It's completely against our human nature to run towards conflict. However, as school leaders, we're responsible for everything that happens within our school building. So when issues arise, it's our responsibility to actually address them. And it never feels comfortable addressing them. Those who are most effective at addressing issues, it's not because they love to address conflicts. It's just they become more effective at managing their discomfort. So many school leaders make the misstep of not addressing issues. And when we do this, two things happen. First, we send the message that that thing we're not addressing is okay. And secondly, we set up the issue to grow and blow up into something bigger. So let's make this crystal clear with an example. Let's say that you have an expectation that teachers arrive to school at 7.30 and they are at their door ready to welcome students at 8 o'clock when school starts. 
let's say it's 8.07 and you see a group of students starting to line up outside of a classroom door and you realize the teacher is not there. You then see that teacher walking down the hallway with breakfast in hand, their bags for the day, and you realize they are just now arriving to school. They didn't give you any type of communication that they were going to be late, so this wasn't something you're expecting. And you might decide, well, they're not extremely late, so there's no need to say anything. And or you might actually make up an excuse for them. Maybe they have kids and you consider that they were running late because they had to drop off their kids at daycare. So you decide not to address it. Well, by making this decision, you are telling every other teacher in your building that it's okay for them to arrive to school late too. You are also telling that late teacher that it's okay for them to arrive late today, so it won't be a problem if they arrive late tomorrow. I guarantee the issue will grow. If that teacher doesn't continue to be late, other teachers will be late. If that teacher continues to be late, they will be late on the worst day. The day that you have that unannounced district security audit or the day that students in their first block are having conflict and now they're standing outside of their teacher's door unsupervised and that conflict begins to ensue and now all of a sudden the issue has grown into some type of altercation and now you have to explain to a parent why there was no adult present. I guarantee it will get worse. You have got to address the issue. No, it will not be comfortable, but the consequence for not addressing it will be even more uncomfortable. Lean into that discomfort because once you do, those conversations actually become easier and easier to step into. All right, our final misstep, misstep number four, is not prioritizing. I shared before that school leaders are responsible for so much, and it's so easy to lose focus of what matters most, which is kids learning. As a school leader, you get requests from everywhere and everybody to do a million things, and not all of them will be in the best interests of your school. As a school leader, you have to be very clear on your priorities. When you're clear on your priorities, you know what to say yes to, what to say no to, and what to say not right now to. I would have moments as a principal where my mind would be blown by all the stuff our school would be asked to do. We would be asked to host district events, to pilot programs, to administer some type of student survey or district training. And if I would have said yes to all these things, I wouldn't have been able to do anything well. And if you say yes to everything, you won't be able to do everything well. At the beginning of the school year, I would engage in strategic planning with my leadership team to determine our three to four goals and priorities for the year. So once I was really clear on my school goals and the priorities, I used this as criteria for what I would say yes to. If I couldn't see how it clearly related to our goals and priorities, it was a no. And if I was unsure if that thing was connected to our goals or priorities, I would leverage the opinion and perspective of someone on my leadership team just to help me make that decision. 
And remember, saying no doesn't always have to sound like an N-O followed by a period. It could sound like we appreciate this opportunity and we want to be sure to give 100%. At this time, our school does not have the capacity to take this on to give 100%. It won't always be easy to say no, but at the end of the year, you will look back and be glad that you did. All right, y'all, that is all for today. And remember that once you know better, you can do better. So delegate, reframe resistance, address that issue, and prioritize. Until next time, man.